Welcome to the Idea Fit Pro Show with your host, Sandy Todd Webster. Welcome, everyone, and thanks so much for tuning in to the Idea Fit Pro Show. I'm your host, Sandy Webster, and today I have the absolute pleasure of speaking with Shannon Fable, a fit pro who has shared her creative energy and expertise with our industry for over two decades. Shannon, who was named the 2013 Idea Fitness Instructor of the Year and the 2006 ACE Instructor of the Year, has spent the last 25 years helping brands such as Anytime Fitness, Schwinn, Power Systems, ACE, Silver Sneakers, Fit for Mom, and BOSU as a fitness business and programming consultant. An experienced educator, freelance writer, and certified book yourself solid business coach, she helps fitness entrepreneurs navigate the industry and make more money. Shannon serves as the former chairperson of the board for ACE. She's on the advisory panel for the Association of Fitness Studios, and she co-founded and successfully sold Group X Pro, a cloud-based group fitness management tool. We have a lot to talk about, so let's get right to it. Shannon Fable, are you ready? I am ready. All right, let's do this. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking the time to join me on the podcast today. Of course. Thank you for inviting me. It's my pleasure. Yeah. So in all of my years at IDEA, I've really watched with awe as you've risen through the ranks and accomplished so much and really mm -hmm. with such a dynamic and diverse mix of roles throughout the years. Um, I wanted to launch into our conversation today by asking you briefly to retrace your path in the industry and also just find out what being an IDEA member has meant to your career path. Sure. So it's a long and winding road of 25 years that I don't, I mean, definitely did not predict that any of this would happen. So I, you know, I was a cheerleader in college and once I stopped cheering and didn't have that outlet, uh, when I got into the real world and was working, I stumbled into fitness. So I found step classes and decided this was something that I needed to be a part of. It was all my loves that came together. And like many group fitness instructors, I'm sure started in the back row, moved to the middle row, eventually was in the front row doing air jacks at, you know, the 32nd mark when, when the warm up was still going on uh -huh. and just had a tape in my bag thinking that, you know, I could do it if the instructor got stuck in traffic or something. <laughs> and I was very fortunate. The uh, clubs where I taught, uh, ran a mentoring program with Melissa Lane, who many of your listeners will probably know. And so I jumped into her program and learned how to teach. She would prepare you for the exam and then teach you all the practical pieces, hook you up with a veteran instructor. The rest is history. Jennifer Renfro, who also a lot of your listeners may know, we both learned to step touch the same weekend with Melissa Lane. So <laughs> that was the beginning of it all. And you know, like I said, very fortunate that the clubs where I was, Rich Boggs actually owned them. He is also the owner of the step company and helped get the step launched with Jen Miller. He became the first distributor of Les Mills. So very shortly into my career, I got to go on that wild and crazy ride. 
became one of the first 10 body pump instructors in the US, eventually went to work for the step company and got exposed to the industry, the back end of the industry and the training end of the industry. And that took me into some, some crazy things like coming in and being a trade show coordinator and going out and training body pump and setting up training. So getting exposed to group fitness managers and all they had to do. And simultaneously, our clubs got bought by Crunch, got introduced to Donna, uh, Donna Cyrus, who decided I should be presenting. And that's how I ended up at IDEA, 1999, my first IDEA convention. I was a presenter doing urban rebounding, jumping on trampolines in front of 200 people. <laughs> and I had I had no clue that this industry had such an organization, but fell in love with it there in Vegas. I remember vividly talking about it in the Star Trek bar. Do you remember the Star Trek bar oh, that was yes. in Hilton in Las Vegas? Yes. I don't know why this is such a vivid memory of mine, but I'm like, oh my gosh, this is the coolest thing in the world. Became an idea member on the heels of being a presenter and have just eaten up the education. So whether it's the publications that you and your team produce or the events, you know, I presented for 21 years after that at IDEA and, you know, just would go around and, and get inspired by all the amazing educators and folks that were there. So yeah, somewhere along the way, my husband and I created a software program for group fitness managers called Group X Pro, sold that to a software company. So learned a little bit more about the technology side of the business. And uh, yeah, I mean, the rest is history. I could go on and on, got introduced to Jay Blonick, and he's the reason that I ended up learning more about business development and how to help uh -huh. instructors, professionals, and organizations with their sales and marketings and yeah, business development plans. So wild and crazy ride, like I said. Well, you certainly have been a, a huge part of um, not even not just the presenter faculty at IDEA events, but um, you you and I have worked together on many mm -hmm. articles over the years. Um, I know you've worked with with Joy and others on our team. Um, just always have such a a fresh take, and you're always sort of hungry for for what's next, and and really just always. Um, looking to lift up our, our pros with your enthusiasm and with your knowledge. So, um, yeah, it's been, it's been mm -hmm. a, just such a great, uh, partnership over the years. Thank you. you. Know, Thank you. You know, Shana, when I invited you on the show, I, I asked you to give me a few bullets of what's on your <laughs> mind and on your project list right now. And you mailed me back with a list of really media top meaty topics. And it got me wondering uh, what drives your creativity and your continued passion for helping our pros. You've been to the you know, figurative mountaintop in your career, mm -hmm. and yet you're still focused on bringing others up, as I just mentioned. Why is that still so important to you? You know, I, yeah, I reflected on this question and I think having been given the space to explain to the listeners a little bit about my long and, and winding road, I think first just getting exposed to all of those different roles and the possibilities has kept me in this place of curiosity over the years. So with every role that I did and then maybe moved on to and tried something different, I always had in the back of my head their urgent needs and compelling desires. So just having this unique vantage point, I think would be part one. And then part two, people pay me to read and research and review. And so that's what I do each and every day. I spend a majority of my time in what I call like my deep work focus, where I am out and about keeping a finger on the pulse of what's going on both inside of our industry and outside of our industry, domestically, internationally. 
And then I go back into those roles and I'm always thinking about how to connect that information back to those different roles that I've played. Um, one big thing that pulls me back is, is I do still have a group that I am paid to organize on Facebook that it, it puts me in front of people that are just getting into the industry. People that are in the industry looking for something new and veterans that are maybe the tail end of their career or searching to remain relevant. So those three different stakeholders inside of the group fitness community. And so I'm asked a lot of questions as well. So circling back to my job of reading, researching and reviewing, I, I, I kind of have that, that roadmap for what I need to be out and seeking to bring back into the industry. So constantly doing a dance between those two things, seeing what people need, seeing what's happening. I get curious about the answers, either try to answer them myself or find smart people I know that can answer them. And you know, at the heart of it, I know this world needs more career-minded fitness pros. We have advanced so far from what it was when I started teaching, where you just did it to get a free membership. Mm -hmm. And I have been blessed with some amazing mentors along the way that opened my eyes to the possibilities. And I just think it's really important for that to continue. So I'll try as long as I can. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, the last time you and I podcasted was actually in person at 2020 Personal Trainer Institute. Um, within a week of returning home, as we all know, the world shut down due to pandemic um, and our lives were turned upside down. Our question set today is completely different than the things we talked about then uh, due to the quantum shift in the world and the industry. And it was interesting for me to, to go back and look at that question set and think, wow, this is this these were our priorities back then. And, you know, they were great topics, but I mean, hardly um, as serious as as what's going on today. So with so much swirl and uncertainty going on, what are some meaningful ways industry pros can take charge of their careers when it seems like we really have a lack of control today? The message I've been leading with in the last 18 months is stop shape-shifting. And what I mean by that is historically before this happened and it forced us to really go back to bare bones and figure out what it was that we were delivering that people wanted and find a new way to deliver it to them. We kind of took the path that we saw in front of us that other people were on and went, oh, I guess I have to do that. So we would look at opportunities. So a 5 a.m. class is available at this club that's down the street. And then we would shape shift to fit it because we wanted to get our foot in the door. And not that that's a wrong way. I think many of us, that's the way we got our, our start and, and it worked. But I believe that the last 18 months, I hope anyway, it has opened people's eyes to the fact that you truly can create the position and the opportunities that you want and then find places and spaces to do those things. Mm -hmm. You don't just have to travel the path of least resistance. You don't have to do what the person before you has done. There are just so many opportunities. So I just keep beating my drum, like stop shape-shifting, really figure out what you want to do, and then find a way to make it happen. Gain more awareness around what's out there, what's possible. And to do that, you have to network. So that would be the second thing I believe we truly have realized in the last 18 months. And it was so fun to watch, especially the first six or so during the COVID shutdowns, how 
we expanded our networks beyond the instructors or adjacent pros in our community or at our club. And we truly did start reaching out to other people along that spectrum. I explained before, you know, those just getting in, been in a while, been in forever, trainers, instructors, owners, managers, everyone came together. And I hope that continues because I believe when we network with a lot of people, the tapestry in this industry is just so amazing. You can tap into all of it. You truly can see what's out there and find your own unique way uh, to get what you want out of your career. Tap into the tapestry. I love that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So as a follow-up to that, can you please give some examples of how fit pros can intentionally build careers that are both scalable and sustainable? And I just, I'm also wondering how we can make this an appealing career path, not only for the the many who have already devoted years and years um, of, of their service, uh, but for those who are considering a career in the industry. And I guess that starts with the, the basic question, is this still a viable career path? Mm-hmm. It is for sure. I mean, I've always been an eternal optimist almost to a fault, but I believe if you want to do this, there is a way to get it done. It just might not look like it did 18 months ago. Mm-hmm. And um, I believe I've mentioned to you right at the beginning of this year, I was really struggling helping both independents and uh, some organizations that I was consulting for. Just felt like I was beating my head against a wall with that question. Like, is this really viable anymore? Should we be doing this? And I, I was struggling with trying to help people find a framework for innovation. So I went back to school the first quarter this year and did an executive certificate program with Dartmouth. And um, the subject was innovation. And there actually is a framework. And I say that to answer your question, because the set, there are three types of innovation. There's linear innovation that we all do where we're you know slightly rearranging the chairs on the deck of the Titanic and building a better mousetrap, so to speak to stay relevant. And then at the opposite end of that, the third version is what we consider, you know, like leapfrogging innovation, that thing that's going to keep you relevant in 10 years, where a lot of us get hung up is not, um, not accepting fact that the second type of innovation is selectively forgetting the past. So to believe that this is a viable career and that there's money to be made and longevity in it, we have to selectively forget the past. It's almost like you have to shut the door on what happened before 2020 Mm -hmm. and you have to re-envision the future. Hmm. And I believe re-envisioning the future starts not with seeking out market opportunity or opportunities in the industry, but defining who do you want to serve? What do you want to provide them? And more importantly, why in the world did you choose that group of people and that benefit? So to be a little more specific, you know, you're not looking for a who because the market says, ooh, baby boomers have money. You're looking for the market that speaks to you. Uh, You know, you asked me earlier, like, why do you keep doing this? Like, I believe I was put on this earth to help fit pros create sustainable and scalable businesses. That's where everything that I've done has led me. And that is my unique calling and my unique thing that I want to do. And the thing that makes me wake up every morning, a very strong who, what, and why. And if you have those, what I call my three W's, you may constantly reassess. It certainly wasn't my who, what, and why 10 years ago. But if you can constantly reassess that and know with certainty what your who, what, and why are, then you don't have to shape shift. You can start to seek out the opportunities or build your own. It serves as your guiding light or your North Star, whatever you want to call it, your topic sentence in an article um, or your intro paragraph. 
and it, it helps you figure out where to go. And then you can wake up every day with a ton of passion and excitement about what you do. Cause I know that we get in our own way because of the three A's. It's either assumptions, analysis, or apathy. And apathy is the easiest one to fix. Apathy is when you're just not headed in the right direction or down the right path. Mm-hmm. And that's why I believe so many people end up exiting stage left. Uh, when things get hard, they just get apathetic and they exit because they just don't have a clear who, what, and why. You can get a clear who, what, and why. You can do anything you want in this industry. Uh, it's going to make you wake up every day and, and get really curious about other ways and other opportunities and, and allow you to envision new ways to get things done that haven't been invented yet. And, and that's what consumers need right now from us. They, they don't necessarily want what we were doing before in the same exact way. The world's changed. They've changed. We need to change. Mm-hmm. But yeah, if you have a who, what, and why, I think you're good to go. Yeah, it's you know when you talk about closing closing the door of of the past and just looking forward, I mean that's that's scary for people. That you know it's a it's exciting, but it's also a little scary. Um, I think there are a lot of successful fitness leaders and business models to look for to look mm-hmm. to for inspiration, and I think we all need that at least for a kickstart. But one of the things you told me you wanted to discuss today was learning to find your own way in the industry, yes. which you just just um, got into not just follow the leader. So Mm -hmm. can you share more about your thinking on that and give us some examples of how listeners can gain confidence in their inner voice to strike the path and, and find the path that suits them the best? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I agree with you, Sandy. I mean, success leaves clues. So you never want to be so naive to think that you don't need to study the ways of other folks that have ended up being whatever you consider to be successful, right? And I think that's the first hurdle that we all have to uh, get over in this industry is what does success mean to you? Mm -hmm. Is success packing a room? Is it this becoming a career that pays your bills and affords you a lifestyle that you want? Or is it from a place of, um, you know, it's your social contribution to the world and none of those are wrong, but I think the first step in finding your own way is deciding what success looks like and then reaching out and starting to, I'm not going to say model yourself after people have done it, but searching for other people that have gone down the path, seeking that kind of success versus yours. Because if, if you look at like, how do you know who you want to tap into that's been successful if you don't know what you want? Um, you know, are you looking to be a Jillian Michaels? That's very different than being a super successful trainer at a chain health club. Um, I could go on and on. So that's step one is define what success is. But step two, once you start looking at them, you know, you can't just say, if, if you listen back, I was kind of giving you my winding road. I have people reach out to me all the time and say, okay, I want to do what you did. I, I want to become a presenter and I want to work for these companies and I want to travel the world presenting and educating and doing program development, you know, how to do it. And I kind of chuckle every time because I'm like, I can tell you every single step and you could write it down over 17 pages and you could go get the same degree I did, work at the same kind of health clubs, follow all of them, and you would never end up where I am, not because of me, but because you're not starting at the same time with the same set of circumstances in the world, right? Like the industry was different when I started. The opportunities were different. So to find your own way, for me, there are four steps. Find your time, find your people, find your focus, find your flow. And I know the first one sounds really dumb, but it's the most important. 
you have to find your time because if you want to create your own path and you want to be successful, you need to find time to work on your business, not just in your business. And in order to find the time to work on your business, you have to be intentional about setting aside thinking time, deep work time, brainstorming time, networking time, creative time. And a lot of times when we jump into this industry, we just start taking on all the work. You're teaching 17 classes a week, training 25 clients, you're exhausted, and you're trying to do this in the nooks and crannies, and you can't. You need the headspace, you need the energy, um, and and you, you need the peace of mind to be receptive to what is available. Then with that time, you find you've got to create a framework first. That's your who, what, and why. Figure out who are you trying to serve? What are you trying to accomplish? Why are you doing it? And then finding your focus, you have to develop a self-promotion strategy. And sometimes when I say that, people are like, but I'm going to go work for someone else. So that just, I don't need to market myself. Well, you do to get the job. Like we're all in business for ourselves in this industry. So you have to come up with a self-promotion strategy that you work all the time. And then you have to find your flow. How do you maintain that business development side of your world day in and day out so that you're not just doing it when you're desperate, because that's what a lot of us do, right? We get really booked teaching all the classes, training all the clients, and we're not doing any of the groundwork for business development, mm-hmm. or it's kind of on, um, it's on autopilot. We're not putting that energy back into it. So you've got to find your flow where you can handle your workload, still set aside time to work on your business, not just in your business. So we can keep the coffers full. So, I mean, that's the, that's the strategy that I teach for my clients is find your time. Then you find your people and your focus, get into your flow. And it's a, it's a little circle that keeps going round and round and round. And, you know, you build in time for that self-reflection to make sure you're still headed in the right direction every once in a while and add more people into your networking circle to help you achieve what you're after. So Shannon, on this topic of working on your business and not just in it, um, f- mm-hmm. for you, I, I'm sure it looks different for everybody and what their goals are, but for for you or um, generally speaking, mm-hmm. what sort of a ratio is that? I mean, how much time should you be spending working on your business and how much time should you spend working in it? Mm-hmm. Great question. I'm going to take two steps backwards and then answer that one. I think step number one is knowing what working on your business versus in your business is because many people lump a lot of shallow work that is in your business in the on your business category. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, if you're face to face with a client, face to face with a class, that is obviously working in your business. You're trading time for money. But everything that goes into delivering that hour of a class or hour of a training is also working in your business. So, mm-hmm. class planning, selecting your music, making the playlist, queuing, et cetera. Your marketing to some degree is still working in your business. Mm-hmm accounting, all of that goes in your business. So when I look at on your business, I I alluded to it earlier. This is deep work. This is work that you're not putting down on a to-do list and easily crossing off in 30 minutes. It's thinking and talking and meeting and networking and and connecting. From there, the other preemptive step, and this is one that is often missed. And I used to teach a workshop, actually a pre-con I did at Idea PTI, gosh, probably seven, eight years ago was called um, Exit Strategies. And people were a little bit like, wait, I don't want to talk about exit strategies. I mean, (laughs) you have to, you have to know where you're going, but I digress. But this was a question I asked then, and it always raises some eyebrows. I said, you have to determine first how many hours each week on average you actually want 
to work. Mm. You have to put a pin in it. And it's often overlooked because, you know, business coaches are traditionally coming from a more traditional world where if I go to work at a corporation, I'm expected to clock 40 hours a week. And this is a big conversation right now with the the work from home, right? So it's getting a lot more airplay than it used to, but from a corporate world, they're paying you for 40 hours. You're working 40 hours. This is a non, you don't need to do it, but in the industry, it's very easy to just fill up all of your time and never really put guardrails around it, which can equal burnout really, really quickly. Sure. And you're never going to find time to work on your business because you can't add on to it once you're tapped out and exhausted. So you have to determine and know there's no right or wrong answer for your average number of hours. And it may change with seasons of your life, seasons of the year, if you have kids, you don't have kids, but you have to say, I want to work 20 hours a week total. 30 hours a week, 40. Then to answer your question more succinctly, my personal thought is that at minimum, 15% of those hours should be dedicated to working on your business. Okay. So if you're doing the 40 hour work week, that's only six hours a week. It's actually not a lot. Six hours. I teach my clients to make that into 90 minute sessions. So then I've got four sessions to work with. And then I have to strategically put them in my calendar. The big thing is you can't just hope that you find it by the end of the week. (laughs) Cause what you'll end up doing is trying to do it between clients, do it in between classes, do it in the car on your way to work on Saturday morning before the kids wake up. This has to be intentionally set aside and planned. So 15% would be my minimum that I would suggest. Okay. And if I can, you know, draw an analogy the way I'm hearing it, the way I'm understanding Mm -hmm. your words, um, it's, you know, if the on your business is, is, it's kind of the rudder on a boat and your boat is your career. And so if you're, if you're dipping that rudder into the the water, 15% of your time, you're going to keep a straighter, more on target path. It seems like. Does that work? I love it. I love it. Yes. And yeah. And you can't ignore it. It goes back to what I said before about self-promotion. You can't ignore working on your business and thinking about what's next. I hope that's the biggest lesson we learned in the last 18 months, because so many of us were doing well, packed classes, booked solid, great job, healthcare. You thought you'd made it. And then we never thought in a million years that the that that would go away. Like mm-hmm. we couldn't have dreamed that up that you would not have work for a year unless you figured out how to go online. And, you know, not that we would have ever been able to foresee it if you would have kept the rudder in the water, but if you would have spent the time, that time ensures that you have an opportunity to think about those three types of innovation. We talked about, yes, you want to spend time on linear You also want to do some retrospective work and look back and go, okay, what do I need to be forgetting? Is it a class format that I just don't need to be teaching anymore? Mm -hmm. Um, Is it a type of client that I'm just not going deep enough in my knowledge here to be as impactful with that target group? Or is it thinking about leapfrogging where maybe you would have thought about digital five, six, seven, eight years ago, if you're giving yourself some time to not panic and jump into that pool, but slowly test that um, because that's what innovation is, right? It is a countless number of tiny uh, experiments that don't cost you more than you can gain where over time you figure out where you're going. So I love your analogy just enough 
to make sure that you're doing that consistently. Cause you know, you can't just wait for, Oh, I've got a two week vacation this summer. I'll think about it. Then it's too late by then <laughs> you've got to give yourself that gift of about, you know, 15% of your total hours each week to have that time. Yeah. And, and truly thinking back to, you know, a year, 20 months ago, um, you know, the industry was forced into this. It, it wasn't, you know, the, the pleasure of taking the time to innovate mm-hmm. and being really thoughtful about it. To, it was survival last year yeah. and it was panicky and it was tough. Um, we've we've come through it. A lot of us came through it. And um, yeah, it's just to be to have the luxury of being more thoughtful about your innovation mm-hmm. um, by doing it incrementally during your career, I think is a much better approach. Yeah. And you know what? Give a nod back to or use an example of the publications and the idea membership. Even if, like if, if we're talking about innovation, you're like, well, that's too big for me. I don't do innovation. A, you do. But B, I probably can't convince you of that in an hour. But even thinking about continuing education, how many times have you as a pro, if you're listening, sat there and thought, I just don't have time for continuing education. You've got a stack of idea publications sitting on your desk for the time when you're going to be able to sit down and read through them or all the CEC courses that you get for being an idea member. And, oh, yeah, I'll get back to that at some point. And then just like you're talking about, we panic during the 18 months of COVID, we panic at the end of our renewal cycle because we haven't gotten our con ed. Same concept, right? At least mm-hmm. one of those, one of those, um, you know, I call them my TBD sessions, my time by t- time by design sessions each week is spent researching, reviewing, and reading, whether it's a publication, because that's going to give you inspiration and new ideas yep. um, or insight or content. Like you have to be doing that every week, not just every two years, but you have to set aside the time to do it instead of trying to find the time or leaving it to be designed. So if you want to think micro level versus that big innovation macro level, even your con ed will, will greatly benefit from, from this approach. And I think it's just so much more pleasurable to meet it out over time than just like dive in and like cram for it. hundred right? percent. Cause what do you get out of cramming? I always think about even conferences, you know, you, a lot of you just went through the idea world virtual conference and you come out of that and you have so much information. If you don't have those TBD sessions set aside the next four to six weeks, that stuff dies on the vine. Like right. it's back yeah. there, but you don't remember, or you can't even implement it because you don't have time to put it into action. So it works in all scenarios mm-hmm. in this industry. Those are such great points. Mm-hmm. Um, so Shannon, imagine you're talking with a student or a person who is seriously contemplating getting into our industry. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have, th- what are your three top pieces of advice for that person? Ooh, I think I have four. So I'm going to start with one. I just thought of one extra one. The first one is this. You may very well get into the fitness industry because you love to move. I love to teach step. You might like to lift heavy things. You might like to train. It might sound like it's a big job. Ensure that there is more to it than that. That can be your catalyst. But if that's all that you're getting and you can't find a why deeper than that, it's going to be a tough road. It's not going to feel fun (laughs) after a while and or you're not going to be as impactful as you may be hoping to be. But my three concrete ones are get curious. Um, You've been exposed to this industry in probably one way whether it's 
you know, for me, it was here was the club. Here were the classes they taught. These were the people that I saw taught. This was the organizational structure of the gym and the services they offer. That's what I thought the fitness industry was Mm -hmm. until I started working at the step company and traveling the country and seeing all of the other things that were happening. So get infinitely curious about the industry, both boots on the ground, the work that you want to do as an instructor or a trainer or health coach, as well as behind the scenes, sales, gym management, opening clubs, programming, education, get curious about all of it. Be really knowledgeable and curious about the industry. Second, what we've been talking about for a while, commit to business development time for yourself, even in the beginning of your career, when it seems like it's not worth it. It's kind of like your parents, I'm sure, told you the minute that you graduate from college or, or maybe you're getting ready to graduate. I'm sure they're telling you first job, you start setting aside 10%, put it in savings right out of your paycheck. Don't delay. Retirement may seem very, very far off, but it starts to creep up on you very, very quickly. So same kind <laughs> of a concept, right? Start investing in your business development right away. And then finally, commit to ongoing continuing education, both formally and informally. Formally, we know we have to do to tick the box and stay certified, but informally, that's where things like that idea membership come in handy. The community, the networking, the access to publications, the reading, the reviewing, the researching, the being on the forums, being in the Facebook groups, you really need to commit to surrounding yourself with people in the industry that especially some that think like you do, but others that don't people in different spaces, ages, stages, beliefs, expose yourself. And that gets you back to being curious, right? And then using the time you commit to business development and then committing to ongoing con ed and community and networking. Yeah. It's just, it's a beautiful circle that just Mm -hmm. perpetuates, keeps going. Yes. (laughs) Right. Right. No, that's great stuff. Thanks for, for that uh, analysis. Um, I wanted to switch to a a different topic now. Um, In our pre-interview discussion, um, again, you also mentioned that you wanted to talk about fear of competition in our industry. I think we see infighting and demonization of some of the pandemic-driven business models that have have evolved uh, by necessity. Um, And I was hoping you could elaborate on that. Yeah, it it weighs on me a ton because you might overarching mission in this industry is to get people moving. And if that's why you're in it, if that truly is what drives you, then who are we to question how they do that? (laughs) I just want them all to move. And that's always how I felt. Even when I was teaching, you know, I taught cycling, BOSU, balatone, and strength training. And at the beginning of every class, I would you know, continue to reiterate what the title of the class was, what the objectives of the class were. And then I'd say something to the effect of, okay, I'm going to turn around and uh, mess with my music and allow you the opportunity to leave if this is not what you thought you were coming to get or not what you need today. Right. Because as much as I want you to be in my class, I want you to get a good workout. It's not about me. So if we continue that line of reasoning, then Yes. Do I want you to come back to my classes in the gym? Absolutely. Do I want you to get back to the way that I am delivering fitness? hundred percent, because I know I can help you. But if you have figured out something else that works better for you and is more convenient, step one is just don't demonize it. Like 
people already have enough fear of making the right moves in fitness. Mm -hmm. The last thing they need is someone that they trust and believe in to start telling them that that's not right, or they might get hurt, or this is going to happen. Celebrate them and then be their Sherpa. Figure out how you might be able to be their and versus their only. So that's the second piece of it is adopt that and mindset of, you know what, they might love digital and find time to see you once a week live. And it be even more beneficial than it was before because they're being supported and working out three or four extra times a week than they were before making it to your class one time a week only. Right. So how can we expand this and mindset, right? That we don't have to be the one and only. And I always used to teach that as a group fitness manager. I'm like, A, we're a team, right? If they don't come to your class three days a week, as long as they are getting their activity in three days a week, that's a win. Mm -hmm. So promote the other ways they can do it. If your class doesn't work for them, this isn't about them becoming your fan and only your fan. It's about becoming a fan of fitness. And then I think the final thing is just adopting an, an abundance mindset. Um, every, I can honestly say like what we deliver is probably one of the only things that every single person in the world could benefit from. Mm -hmm. right? Moving your body is something everyone needs to do. So uh, it's pretty wide target market out there for the taking. <laughs> and the minute that we start to think the scarcity mindset of, oh my gosh, if there's digital and they can get a Peloton and they can do this with their Apple watch and, oh, they've discovered how to walk outside. Oh no, that doesn't <laughs> count as exercise. Come back. Like, I, I mean, it, it, people need all kinds of opportunities. Look at XM radio or Sirius radio. How many radio stations are there? How many do there really need to be? And how many are there? Um, somebody needs your radio station. Just trust that someone needs your radio station. And I'll go back to a statement I made earlier. If you have truly defined your who, truly defined your what, and you have an authentic why, you will find an audience for you. And all you have to focus on are the people in front of you. Stop focusing on the ones that aren't with you yet. Keep talking to the ones that are. They can help you build your audience. And if you keep telling that story, you will build your audience on your own as well. So th those are my big hopes and, and dreams and wishes for fitness professionals, because there are plenty of people that need what we're doing. Just trust that if you get your who, what, and why, why right, you will find your people. I mean, really, we are just reaching a fraction of people who, who need us out there. Right. And so um, I think in if there's if, if our purpose truly is to inspire the world to move and to fitness, mm -hmm. then we should be encouraging th them to do it in any way, shape or form. They they will do it. I could not agree more. I mean, I think that's the biggest thing that consumers and, and again, going back to getting curious you guys, if you really stopped and got curious about what happened in the last 18 months, not to our profession and our industry, but to the people we are trying to serve, mm -hmm. you would have light bulbs going off in your head about better ways to service them. The world is your oyster at this moment. Like there have never been this many people interested in finding fitness, right? but they want to find fitness in their way, not necessarily your way. Right. And we, we have to learn to speak in their language and to package things up the way that they want them. So again, it's why you have to decide your who, because your who has very specific needs and desires. 
And if you know their needs and desires, then you can pull out the number one benefit you can provide. And if you start to tie it together that way, it becomes a much more compelling message than before and after pictures. Mm -hmm. So just food for thought. Yes, we want to celebrate any way that they are getting inspired to fitness and inspired to moving their body. And then be thinking about the innovative ways that we can service them. And it you know, never has it been easier to service people too. So it's kind of a cool thing. And really just to spend some time trying to see it through their lens, like understanding what's going on in their life. You know, they're, they've got, their kids are at home and mm-hmm. homeschooling and, you know, maybe not anymore, but I mean, there are lots of different complications here. And so if we can just spend some time in, in empathy, really just trying oh to gosh. put our, our feet in their shoes and saying, mm-hmm. okay, what, what would help this person that I can deliver? Yeah. And yeah, I've been using the analogy the past year and a half of our industry for so long has thought we had to be the wise woman or the wise man on the mountaintop with all the answers and that people paid us to have the answers. I think that was going away before this all happened, but you use the word empathy and the, you know, the image that I use is come down from the mountaintop. People just want you to walk side by side with them, or Mm -hmm. maybe even one step behind with a hand on their back, celebrating every decision they make, not making them question every decision they make because what's happened in the last 18 months, it's so much decision fatigue, Mm -hmm. so much decision fatigue. And the thing that's supposed to be their stress reliever and the thing that's to boost their immunity They don't want to have to think so hard about it. And like I said earlier, the minute that the professional that they trust is making them question the choices that they're making, even something as innocuous as standing in front of your class and being like, Sandy, where were you last week? And you tell me you decided to go on bike rides with your kids. And I'm like, but you missed your strength training class. You know, and I know we say it flippantly and we're just joking, but it really can, that that doesn't come from an empathetic or a supportive place, even if it is joking. So we just need to watch for those opportunities to celebrate the choices they make yeah, and, and lean into that and mindset of, and how does this benefit them too? And how can you support them through this? Um, and I think we would, we would be much better off as, as fitness professionals. And maybe instead just celebrating that choice that they went on a bike ride with their kid and saying, awesome. That, that is so great. I hope you guys had a great time. We are so happy to see you here today and, and have you with us, right? Yeah, because even though schools are going back and, you know, depending on when this is, is released, the world is still very much in flux. Uh, and even if you think people are able to get back to their businesses and their schedules and a little bit of normalcy, just know that that decision fatigue, that's not going away anytime soon. So we just have to be really empathetic to a a life in flux at the moment and being able to get fitness whenever and wherever is a really, really smart idea. So however you can lean in and support that is going to serve uh, the folks that you're trying to serve. I love it. So smart. Shannon, before we sign off, can you please tell people how they can connect with you either through social media, your website or other means? I know you have a Facebook group as well. Um, Mm -hmm. And then please or maybe multiple Facebook groups. um, But then please leave us with a parting thought for for your industry colleagues. (laughs) I will. So um, my website, shannonfable.com, S-H-A-N-N-O-N-F-A-B-L-E. And I actually, that whole on your business versus in your business, I have a worksheet on there that you can download to take you through all the timing. So grab that. It's it's really a fun thing to work through, even if it's not about business development, but just about life. 
Uh, most of my social handles are S Fable. I was very fortunate that I married someone with a unique last name. There are no <laughs> other ones, just me. And then, yeah, I do. I run a group fitness page that ACE sponsors. It's not just for ACE fitness professionals, for all group fitness professionals, those just getting into it, studying for their exam all the way to veterans that have been in it for 30, 40, 50 years. And we do daily doses of inspiration, education, and information, lots of informal continuing education and networking. And let's see, one thing, one message, you know, I've been, I hope the same thread has come through all these answers. The world needs what you're doing. Mm -hmm. So keep doing it and spend the time you need to ensure that you are on a path that allows you to do it for a very long time. I, I get so sad when people exit stage left for one reason or another. So if there's any way I can support you, I know idea does so much to support pros lean into the support because we need you as an industry and folks in the world need you for what you provide. So keep at it. Amen. (laughs) Shannon, thank you so much for sharing your ideas and your time and experience and wisdom. Um, I always feel smarter and totally fired up after talking to you. And today is no different. Thanks a bunch. You bet. Thank you so much, Sandy. Appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I loved interviewing Shannon Fable. If you haven't yet subscribed to the podcast, you can find the Idea Fit Pro Show at Apple Podcasts and on all major podcasting platforms. We'd be honored if you took a minute to give us a rating, and we'd be grateful if you would share the show link and news about the podcast on your social feeds. Meantime, we'll keep working hard to bring you more great material like this. To learn more about Shannon or to connect with her, please check today's show notes to find the links. This is Sandy Webster signing off. Until next time, stay positive and keep inspiring the world with your special magic. Don't ever forget that you make a huge difference in the lives of others and that idea is here to support you in this critical purpose. Thanks for all you do to make the world a healthier, happier place. The Idea Fit Pro Show is part of the Outside Inc. podcasting network. Many thanks to our executive producer, Jordan Leeds, and our engineer and editor, Mike Hilding. Copyright 2021, all rights reserved. Reproduction without permission is strictly prohibited.